You're listening to City Church Manchester. We are a church that invites everyone to enjoy Christ for the glory of God. If we can serve you in any way, then visit our website at citychurchmanchester.org to find out more. It is Acts 20, verse 13 to 32. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Assos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos and on the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the presence of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the presence of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of, among, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Thanks very much, Rima, and welcome, everyone. It's great to be with you. My name is Matt. I'm one of the leaders here at City Church, and we're carrying on with a series um, in Acts. If you've not been with us uh, for the last few weeks, then um, there's not much I can do about that, but hopefully you'll catch up pretty quick. Keep the passage open. We've got a lot to cover in a short space of time, but I'm very excited to share this passage with you. So why don't we pray before we dive in? Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are a God who made all things, but you are not distant. You speak to us. You draw near. And as your word is open, we do pray that we would be attentive to hear your voice. We pray that you may give us soft hearts to hear both encouragement and challenge. And we ask that by your blessing, none of us would leave this place unchanged. Amen. Here's a question to kick off with to you, church. Uh, Why do we need church leaders? Let me speak frankly to you. 
The last few years have been a rough time, and I'm speaking globally, for those who are in the role of church pastor. There's been scandal upon scandal, and the spectrum's been very, very broad. On one side, there's been uh, criminal abuse, right through to the spectrum of accusations of bullying styles of leadership. And the result is the same regardless of where that is on the spectrum. Trust in Christian leadership has been shaken and pulpits are being emptied as ministers leave in droves and will not be quickly replaced. You see, these are very, very desperate times for church leadership. And there are fewer than I've ever known looking to step up to take responsibility. And I'm not just talking about pastors here. There's a growing reluctance of people generally in the wider church to step up and take any leadership responsibility at all because the cost is perceived as being too great. There is a crisis of confidence in church leadership. And so it's right for us to ask, isn't it? What is leadership for? And what does it look like for church leadership to be healthy? Now, I'm saying all of this because in our passage today is a record of Paul's farewell speech. Paul was giving this message to a group of church leaders from a city in modern-day Turkey called Ephesus. And Paul is heading to Jerusalem. And he is absolutely convinced that he will never see these friends again. And so he imparts to them not only a summary of his own spiritual leadership amongst them, but he also advises them on how to be healthy spiritual leaders themselves. Now look, if you're, not a, if you're not a leader here, perhaps you're not even a believer, perhaps you are here for the very first time and you're visiting, well, it is wonderful to have you with us. It probably feels a little bit like you've just stepped into a family home and they're having some sort of like family meeting or conference and you've got to just sit there quietly in the corner, awkwardly waiting for it to finish. Now, I don't want you to feel like that because actually... If you're not a believer or you are new here today, I want you to see this. I want you to get a sense of what's going on in this conversation because what is going to be revealed in what Paul says will actually reveal the very heart of the Christian faith and it will reveal the beating heart of this church. And if you like neither of those things by the very end, then so be it. But, but here's my guess. At the very worst, you'll be intrigued. And at the very best, your life will be changed. So hang in there. I've got three points this afternoon. The first one's this. Leadership is a call to suffer publicly. Leadership is a call to suffer publicly. Look with me at the very beginning of uh, our passage. Paul wants to take uh, the Ephesian elders down memory lane. Look with me at verse 19. It could be summarised like this. He's saying to them, you saw my posture amongst you wasn't of being brash and overconfident. You saw the tears roll down my cheeks. 
You see, if we would have been there ourselves, we would have witnessed the panic attacks. We would have cleaned up the vomit, mopped up the blood. We would have heard the muffled sobbing in the middle of the night. But Paul's point in verses 20 to 21, look with me there, is, look, my emotional roller coaster has never stopped me teaching the good news of Jesus. The ups and downs that I have felt have never stopped me from talking about the wondrous Jesus who died on a cross so all who have turned away from God, that means everyone, can put their faith in him and be forgiven and be restored to full and right relationship with God. And notice the glaring hallmark of Paul's ministry in verse 20. We're told that he shared the gospel both publicly and house to house. And that means he taught the gospel in a kind of close-up microscope of deep conversations, perhaps over a meal or a drink, where all of his mess has been on show and you are very clearly vulnerable. It's not like the Apostle Paul is saying to them, hey, I only teach the gospel on a big stage with bright lights where the nearest people are 10 metres away. No, no, Paul says, I teach the gospel in honest, open, chaotic, tear-filled, anxiety-punctuated, up-close conversations. That is the environment in which he talked about how much Christ loved him and those that he was talking to. Look, have you ever tried to walk face on into a very, very heavy wind? Have you ever tried to do that where every single step is a fight to put one foot in front of the other? Well, that's what it feels like to be a leader under constant criticism and challenge. But notice for Paul, that may be the case, but it is never an excuse not to keep caring. It's never an excuse to stop offering the comfort of Christ to those who are wounded in the church. And you can see that in Paul's language in verses 18 to 21, that Paul's a little bit like a trauma victim with a now stammer in his voice or perhaps a reflex flinch. Have you seen it with those rescue dogs where even if you go to pet them, they kind of jolt backwards because they fear that you might beat them? It's almost the same for Paul here. Worried, fearful of perhaps any future critique or unexpected criticism, he says in verse 18, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. Verse 19, he says, I served the Lord with great humility. Verse 20, you know. I have not hesitated to preach. Verse 21, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks. In other words, he's saying, don't let me be accused of not caring for you. Don't let me be accused of making this ministry all about my rights or my comfort or my career. And of course, it's perfectly understandable that he might feel that way, isn't it? Paul's been absolutely hammered by those who have opposed the gospel outside of the church, and he's been absolutely hammered by those within the church 
who have opposed him and his teachings. This is neither a sob story nor an exception. This is just the path of Christian leadership. So let me give a word to those of you who would consider being a leader or a connect leader or a ministry team leader or a staff member here or even a deacon or even an elder. God's people need servant-hearted leaders but to be one is to embrace a season of being unsettled, sometimes stretched beyond what you think you can possibly bear. Charles Spurgeon, the very famous uh, preacher, so helpfully put it like this. He said that we could not be like Christ if we were not also treated like him. He said this, do you expect to be crowned with gold where he was crowned with thorns. Shall lilies grow for you and briars for him? And let me give a word to those of you who would sit under the authority of healthy spiritual leaders. For there will be times when you will see these leaders up very, very close to you. You're going to see them in the rough and tumble of, of family life, in the midst of crisis when they are overwhelmed with situations where they do, know, do not know what to do. When you are there in the midst of that, in those moments, allow those leaders to be human-sized and not superheroes. Allow them through grace and even forgiveness to not know what to do Allow them to cry and not be strong. And please don't punish them for being wounded by the very same things that wound you. But do expect them to keep going, to keep pressing forward, to tenaciously never give up and to fight to point themselves and others always to the hope in the Lord Jesus. Point number two, leadership is a call to sit within uncertainty. Leadership is a call to sit within uncertainty. Now, Paul's second nugget of wisdom in this farewell speech focuses on his present journey, but he tells them two things that would freak out any 21st century listener. First, look with me at verse 22. He's not got a clue about what's going to happen when he gets there. Uh, that's surely got to be a panic attack waiting to happen, isn't it? But secondly, the only thing that he does know when he gets to Jerusalem is that the Spirit of God has told him that prison and hardship are on the itinerary. You see, here's the thing. We tend to, uh, we tend to see the Holy Spirit as a prophetic compass to the Christian cookie jar, don't we? You see, often here at City Church, when people might share a nudge from the Holy Spirit, perhaps a prophetic word they might call it, or a prophecy, or a special sense of direction in prayer, what they will typically say is, God is calling me to do this, or go there. Because if I do, 
I will experience this blessed thing or that wonderfully happy experience will occur to me. Now look, I'm not necessarily saying that's wrong, but the mind-expanding realisation of this particular passage is the Holy Spirit can call you into seasons of suffering, uncertainty and disappointment. You see, for Paul, supernatural revelation of the future by the Holy Spirit is not an early warning sign to avoid hardship, but an early warning sign for him to prepare to endure hardship. You see, I think that we as a culture are uniquely allergic to future uncertainty, aren't we? We struggle with anything that requires a sense of patience or to endure seasons of pain. I I know I do. If you're anything like me, you're haunted by the the, the what if question. What if that happens? What if that doesn't work out? What if it goes wrong? What if it hurts? What if it takes too long to come? What if it never comes at all? But this is precisely the world, the Christian leader is called to inhabit a world where your inbox might as easily throw you in the midst of a situation of domestic abuse or gang warfare as it might send you to a kind of pink, icing-topped muffin experience of parents' and toddlers' coffee morning. Could be either way, couldn't it? You see, the Christian leader is in call to an environment of very fragile interdependence where your job security is dependent upon the health of your marriage and the health of your marriage is determined upon how healthily you can actually do your job. The Christian leader is called to an environment where the welfare of your children is often in absolute tension with gospel opportunities that present themselves. Now, this is neither a sob story nor an exception. This is the path of Christian leadership. Leaders are called to sit in the uncertainty, to live with anxiety, for it is in that place, that is the very centre of the Venn diagram for where the Holy Spirit is working most powerfully and where the need and hunger for the gospel is felt most acutely. Right in the middle there, that is where the leader must always be. But how then can they endure to be in a place of that type of instability for so long? Well, look with me at verse 24. Healthy leaders set their focus on two things. They remain trusting that they remain trusting that Jesus is very good. And they refuse to be silent about the good news of that lavish love. Let me put it honestly to you, most of the time as a church pastor, I really don't know what to do. I rarely find myself in situations where things are straightforward. Most significant decisions I have to make either mean disappointing that person or upsetting that person. 
And most of the time, I feel like I'm stuck in the middle and I'm making it up as I go along. If you ever see me kind of like do the kind of uh, hand on the hip, silent chin stroke, perhaps it's the kind of like look up into the corner. You know, I'm spiritually gazing at that great, I'm not, I'm, I'm praying or panicking, often both. But the instinct, the instinct that I have to go on to help me orienteer myself in the darkness amidst the fog with my intellectual limp, it's this question, okay, I don't quite know what to do, but what can be done to keep this person trusting in Jesus? In what way can I testify to the goodness of God in whatever circumstance this person is finding themselves in? For the core of Paul's ministry and it should be the core of all Christian leaders who shepherd you, is how can I keep pointing this person to put their trust in Jesus? So therefore, church, one of the most helpful things that you can do to keep the leadership of City Church as healthy as possible is to find ways to remind the leaders of this church that meeting Jesus face to face, getting to the end of the race, is worth the hardship, the anxiety, now. Look, church, the application is quite simple. Tell your leaders to keep fighting till the end. Remind them of it whenever you can. I don't care whether you sing it or you dance it. Find a way to remind the leaders of this church that finishing the race is everything. And it is utterly worth keeping going till the end. Come with me to our, our third and final point. Leadership is a call to protect against danger. In this final portion of the speech, verses 25 to 38, Paul turns his attention to the most underrated, I think, of all Christian responsibilities in the church, and that is to protect the flock from the wolves. Seatbelts on for this, because this is the most controversial aspect of what I'm going to be talking about. In fact, verses 29 to 30, Paul explicitly predicts that waiting patiently in the darkness, biding their time, like predators poised in the long grass, unseen, ready to pounce, are not only one, but a number of people who are waiting to attack the church. The wolves, the wolves that Paul is warning against, he says they are from your own number. Do you see that? That is people whose names in the church you know, even members of the church. People who will take truth and then subtly distort it. Why would they do this? Well, look at verse 30. It says to draw disciples after themselves. That means they do it for power and popularity. What might that look like for us? Well, so many things that could be said, but Paul's flagged up in this passage already some warning signs for us to look to. For example, number one, look for those who avoid teaching hard passages, who only cherry-pick teaching on inoffensive things. Number two, look out for leaders who are more obsessed 
by what they can gain than serving where the need is most. Look for leaders who turn a blind eye to those in the church who are not living lives that are consistent with how Scripture teaches us to live. And they won't talk about it because society probably applauds those things and that means it would lead to an awkward conversation and, well, you know how it is. Awkward conversations are, well, they're awkward. Paul is deeply aggravated by this threat coming to the Ephesian church. Look with me at verse 26. With a voice full of emotion at the coming slaughter, he declares that the very destruction will rip through the church. But he says, look, it's not going to be my fault. How can he be so sure? Well, he hands full responsibility once and for all over to the Ephesian elders because he reminds them that his work amongst them has finished because he has used the three weapons that are available to every Christian leader. Number one, he says, look, I've preached the very full counsel of God. He teaches them that in verse 27, meaning that Paul has taught them all of Scripture, even the hard bits, even the awkward bits. Number two, he's mobilised his full effort, including his emotions. You see that in verse 31, in order to continually to preach the gospel. And then thirdly, he has modelled with his life that he cared more about them than what they could give him. Verses 33 to 35. Some of you here this afternoon, perhaps you're even watching online, I don't know, you're possibly thinking to yourself, is City Church a place where I would like to settle? Is this a place where I would actually thrive as a believer? And some of you who are City Churches, no doubt members of the church, perhaps a job move will come up and it will take you far away from Manchester and you will have to choose a new church to settle in. Well, here's the application. Don't be a sheep that chooses the pasture based on the colour of the grass. Choose based on the ability of the shepherds to protect you. See, good music is important. It's not enough. Good community is really important, but it's not enough. Good kids' work is important, but it is not enough. Good outreach is important, but it is not enough. Preaching fully what the Bible teaches in a way that will always show the wonder of Christ by an eldership who can spot the wolves and fight for you to finish the race. Well, that is essential. Settle for nothing less. Let me um, challenge you with a very curious observation. 
Luke, is, who's the writer of the book of Acts, is taking great pains to echo Paul's journey to Jerusalem, which will ultimately end with his execution in Rome. And he's taking pains to echo that journey with Jesus' final journey to Jerusalem, which led to Jesus' execution on a Roman cross. And so... This passage echoes Jesus' final instructions to his disciples. In many ways, Acts chapter 20, well, this is Paul's last supper moment. And just as Jesus exhorted his disciples to look to the good shepherd and be wary of wolves or thieves. Well, as you can see in our passage, Paul does exactly the same. And as Jesus explains that his innocent blood must be spilt in order to save the guilty, well, Paul says that through sharing Jesus with the guilty, he cannot be accused of shedding innocent blood. And as Jesus spoke of the markers of true belief in him being one's love for others, Paul reiterates through his speech how he led them through tirelessly serving them. And they are to do the same. But as this passage finishes with hugs and tears and prayers, Luke, the writer here, he subtly shifts the focus away from Paul and onto you. You see, Paul, Paul perhaps doesn't know it at this point, but Luke the writer knows it. And we know it when we remember the story of Jesus' death, that just after the Last Supper, Jesus tells his disciples to stay vigilant. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, they went to sleep. And after he washed their feet to model what servant leadership was all about, one of them betrayed him for financial gain. And after Jesus had promised them that God the Father's love for them would be all forgiving, never giving up, never ending, Peter, for the sake of not being cancelled by popular opinion, denied him three times. And so we're provoked, aren't we, to ask the question, will the Ephesian leaders do exactly the same? Or will they actually listen? And more personally, will we do the same? Or will we listen? slightly off the record point because I know you some of you here today hearing about Christian leadership and as it ought to be and sitting under the authority of that is quite hard to hear because I know that some of you here have been really hurt by the church not so much this one perhaps the church you came from before this But if you have been hurt by any of the leaders of this church for their own or our own carelessness or foolishness, then I'm very, very truly sorry. But for those of you who have been hurt, the very idea of entrusting yourselves to those 
in authority positions just seems too hard. I know it really does to you. And I know the wound probably feels just too raw. And you may well be thinking, does that mean I will never be spiritually healthy then? <laughs> Let me finish by telling you a story. We've just got back from um, uh, a brief holiday in Switzerland. And at one point, we went to the top of a mountain. It was very, very beautiful. Uh, but one of the things you could do at the top of the mountain, and, and it's just under 4,000 meters high, one of the things you could do is you could do a zip wire. Now, those of you who know me, I am not some sort of extreme sports addict, quite the opposite. I'm quite happy by a pool and a book. But Reuben, my son, who's 10 years old, he really wanted to do it. So I agreed to do it. And so we got all harnessed up. And the, the guy who's kind of getting you ready and getting you in the harnesses, you know, he's high-fiving everyone as they're going up. And all of these other thrill-seekers, they're going up the, the kind of stairs that are very loosely bolted to this mountain. They're very loosely bolted to this mountain. You know, he's going, oh, yeah, yeah. And he looks at me and he's like, oh, take the staircase slowly. The, the oxygen's thin up there. I was like, okay, okay. So I'm going up there and everyone's delighted and I'm excited and I am holding on for dear life. My knuckles are white. I am leaning onto the mountain as if it might move, dreading the idea of getting to the top. You know, and it's, you're just waiting to get and it's your turn. And then finally, we're just almost at the very top and the person with the harnesses, he's going to sort you all out. They're very smiley, enthusiastic and I'm not sure I can do this. Uh, and I'm trying to think, how do I say to my son, cover your ears, son, your father's going to scream. I don't want you to see me like this. And we're sat just on the edge with our legs dangling down and the Alps in front of us, and he's got smiles on his face and I can barely look. Uh, and, and do you know how it is? You tell yourself all the true things. No, they've done this before. I'm probably not too heavy. I'm sure they've done all the risk assessment paperwork. You're telling you that, but none of these things in the moment they help, do they? You, you just feel, this is not going to tell, take my weight. And I'm literally about to jump off a mountain. So I'm looking at this wire. I'm trusting that it will hold my weight. And I am hanging on to the harness. And I drop off. And I safely land, as you can well imagine I would, at the bottom in the snow without any pain or damage. I want you to notice in verse 32, Paul finishes his farewell statement by placing into your hands at the end of this passage the safety rope. Placing into your hands the harness so that you can see it for yourself. The word commit in our translation means to entrust. You see, Paul's point here is that good leadership is absolutely vital in the church, but your confidence, your great security for your salvation is not in your leaders, whether they are good or whether they are bad. No, 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 your confidence is in the fact that we are held in the hands of our God and that he is good 
and we grasp hold of the promises of the gospel because they will never let us go. And the weight, the full weight of our lives, the good choices, the bad choices that we make, because of the gospel, it means you will be held. You shall not fall. And your father will land you safely home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we do thank you that you do gift the church leaders. And we do recognize the leadership in every church is flawed and broken and messy in so many different ways. But we do pray that you would continue to grow the leaders of this church and rise up new ones who will emulate Paul, but more importantly, emulate the Lord Jesus. And as we consider what it means to submit to such leaders, we thank you that you give us the template of the Lord Jesus who served us with his own life. We pray that for those of us who are perhaps fearful of that, we would be reminded that you are a good God whose gospel is true and who holds us fast. Amen.